As Siegel retired from competitive Overwatch, it made me think just how many greats we've lost over the years, and especially before Overwatch League ever started. And while some of them tried still during the time that Overwatch League already existed and they couldn't make it in, they still, in terms of their peaks at the time that they played and in comparison to the overall competition, one has to point them out and has to acknowledge their greatness at that respective point in time. So here I have a nice selection of names that if you've been in competitive Overwatch for a while, you will certainly recognize. If you've not been here, then you will maybe enjoy the story of so the the giants of old that sadly we will never get to see unless they unretire that happens sometimes but most of these guys are also pretty old at this point or have moved on to other games so let's start with Siegel then Siegel uh, is a week one player and made himself made it through a bunch of teams in beforehand even though he was mostly playing with friends with uh, Teams like um, Mixup, for instance, and then eventually made it onto LG, but really, and NRG, and tried there, but really his first competitive breakthrough where he was finally, although we, so we thought, in an absolute top team was when he joined Envious. And they had a pretty good run the first, the last tournament before. The Overwatch League uh, started with him, but... Overall, one has to say, then the that what was supposed to be his magnum opus started with the Dallas Fuel, and he was brought in as a projectile specialist. But the season didn't turn out like he wanted. He was still a, a big streamer, so he wanted to certainly maybe maintain, but gave up a lot for that, and actually didn't stream that much at all. Um, after all, and then in. In the season two, he actually had a pretty good performance, but it it was it was all very draining. And obviously, one has to say, despite his contract probably being very good, he was still losing money because he was one of the best, biggest streamers on Twitch before he joined the Dallas Fuel. So, and it all culminates then in him not playing in stage three, but then coming back and sort of giving us a la last hurrah playing marvelously on Giva, probably one of the best uh, Western players for Stage 4. And at least we got to see him go out with a bang. I can tell you, like, from just, I think, viewers of his stream and then also talking to him, one has to say he has one of the greatest minds for the game. Also, if he... if it was somehow possible to incorporate that into his team structure. And if he if he could have made himself stick along, I think there's st there would have been still huge potential in Siegel. There was there is an alternate uh, alternate alternate universe <laughs> where he is considered one of the best players in the Overwatch League, um, and Dallas Fuel doesn't crap the bit bad like they did. Overall, one has to say he tried to always get into the best teams, but it is peculiar that, that they always seem to shit the bed right around the time that he joined, even though one has to say that is probably because there's also just a low amount of teams that he joined and then shit the bed. Uh, it's unlikely to be because of him, but it's certainly still a tragedy that it happened as such. 
Now the next player on the list is Nox. Nox, of course, the main tank, at, or one has to say first, the Lucio player and then the main tank of the great rogue team. Um, Nox first started out, I believe it was in creation, uh, um, with players like Numlocked, like, um, for instance, uh, Linkser, and then he joined up with Rogue and immediately, no, that's actually, yeah, 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 I think that's how it was, he changed signs after the raid rivalry, and then also eventually switched to the main tank role. Rogue became one of the best dive teams. He seemed to be very at home at on Winston, even though he was honestly probably never mechanically even close to on par with these uh, Korean monsters that we know now. The the whole idea of juggling and like the the lethality of uh, of primals was really not explored at that point. That really took Miro to come in and uh, develop that style. Now, that is probably a good uh, gap because, or a, a good segue, because certainly Miro has to be named. Miro, of course, the main tank for Lunatic High, two times Apex uh, season winner, is a guy who reinvented how we thought about Winston. I think one thing that he, that was quite interesting is now absolutely fundamental to every Winston's play but his his way to avoid damage and also his ability to really get his jumps pinpoint and also just jumping uh, vertically a lot just to get out of the way for instance like he, he was really revolutionizing what we thought Winston to be because back back in the day Winston was actually more of the flex tank role, um, or played as such, even though we could, can't really say that flex tank, uh, the position, existed as such. Um, then, uh, obviously, Miro went on to play in Apex Season 4, and there he started dropping off, sadly. Um, one could make the argument that um, he was has ever has been a liability ever since Apex Season 4, and then coming into Soul Dynasty also wasn't on par and wasn't his former self, or rather he wasn't able to keep up with the immense improvement that Winston main players had been doing. He also never seemed to really be able to develop his other heroes even to his level of play on Winston. So that sadly caused him to sort of be phased out and now he's a full-time streamer. Still has to be remembered as one of the all-time great players. Certainly a name that we will remember for a long time. And, you know, because he was the MVP of one World Cup, he still has that uh, auto-qualify for a draft. So maybe maybe he gets in once again if we get a players' union and uh, we get a draft or a combine. So... Watch out for that, then. Um, another player... Uh, do I want to...? Yes, okay. Obviously, we're staying in Korea, and we're going to another pick that you probably expected when sourcing through your archive of well-known names. It's, of course, Eska. Eska, the captain of Lunatic High, and in after the fact, now we have to say he always brought crazy good intangibles he must have basically 
he seemed to be the emotional leader, the glue that kept Lunatic High together and that then sort of really propelled them uh, to a championship-winning team. It was always very hard fought. Lunatic High was a team that always, like, especially in these um, second group stages that Apex used to have, they always would drop one series, but they then would eventually come back and win it all in Apex Season 2 and Season 3. And uh, during that time, for instance, in in Apex Season 1, if we go back, Eska was actually considered one to, to be one of the most mechanically impressive McCrees at the time. Later on, his mechanical performance, we have to say now in hindsight, dropped off. And while people still say that he was a good tracer, I think that's a very hard argument to defend. He was forced into that position because of um, certain... Uh, issues happening in Lunatic High. He was the guy that then jumped in and had to take over first the Tracer role and they were able to um, like get it, especially in Apex Season 3, were able to get to a point where I've always felt like if Eska would have had to play more Tracer. They would have got, probably gotten out. But then, obviously, this Sombra buff comes in and he pulls out one of the most impressive uh, Sombras we've seen in uh, competitive Overwatch to date. Mm, this pretty much helps them to win Apex Season 3. Not to uh, take away anything from their performance, but uh, certainly one hero that he should be remembered for as well as May. He always had surprisingly good mechanics on the hero and then also his smarts in the game simply was quite in innovative and then also just really understanding where for instance cutoffs had to happen where um, attention had to be grabbed and overall I think he had a much greater understanding for the game than finally his um, his mechanics were able to uh, keep up with. So, overall, we have to say, one, once again, one of the greatest performers of all time. Great accolades. Certainly uh, someone that should stand next to Miro in, in terms of uh, the the Hall of Fame, if you want, uh, for, for, the, for the Overwatch history. Now, for the last three, I picked a couple of interesting picks and I'm not sure if too many people would agree with them but those always stood out to me. It's actually four more picks. So let's start out with Waka Waka. Waka Waka started out as a flex tank at the time already on Kong to Panthera but would rather quickly uh, switch over to Lucio and as Lucio he looked marvelous. He was considered one of the top three Lucius at the time. Uh, of course, with Toby, and then him, and then, I believe, one would have to say Chris. Um, movement stood out, but he also seemed to have um, solid calling, from my understanding. At least there were some intangibles about him that, in Apex Season 3, of course, made KDP a very scary team and he, he brought his team to the finals but then ultimately ca couldn't cash in and uh, sadly retired from competitive Overwatch without ever winning an Apex season. Another player that uh, is sort of in the same vein but 
had a much shorter career and actually probably isn't a name a lot of people will recognize is Donghyun. Donghyun was the flex tank for Africa Flix Blue and he was one he was he formed one of the best front lines in Overwatch history together with uh, a player we now know as Mano for of, of course from the NYXL. Um as I said, they played for uh, Afrika, and during that season, they actually got quite far. One has to say they got a pretty easy easy side of the bracket, but in hindsight, it's very hard to, to rate this team and where they would have actually been. Um, of course, uh, the style that this frontline played at the time was that Mano was, would try to not flank, but stand in these outside little rooms, try to take as little damage as possible before engaging, try to always maintain his armor, for instance, on Winston, and would then engage together with Donghyun um, onto these uh, focus targets, often backline heroes, for instance, and that a lot of strength of that Afrika team ended up coming from the front line. Now, Donkian, of course, in, in that sort of setup, not only has to make sure that Mano survives in the end and that his damage is landing, but he also would have to make sure that his the that he is can be there. So his positioning would have to be great, which he always excelled at. Uh, he also had to make sure that during the setup nothing happened to his pores. Tongyan always seemed to be able to find the middle way between these uh, two objectives that that he had to fulfill. And ultimately, it is actually quite sad that we got s to see so little of Donghyun. And if you're uh, an insider on the Korean team, as seen, maybe you could uh, leave a comment as to why he actually retired. I, I never personally got around to finding out. Now, the next player on the list is Cox. Cox was a long, long time stay on Runaway, and he, his signature was that he was able to play a wide variety of heroes. The last couple of tracks, uh, Winston's Lab games actually come down to nine heroes played on some of them. Some of them had four, but he was mostly known as the uh, flex support for um, for Runaway. Now. Apparently, he also was a great sh shot caller. Uh, in, for instance, we heard Runner talk about the finals in Apex Season Two, famously against Lunatic High, and the series was an actual drag. I remember it being a, a five-hour-plus final because of technical difficulties, because of uh, advertisements like longer breaks. Then it was a best of seven. On top of that. And it really turned into a very draining experience. And Runner described it as such that during the first couple of games, Cox had high energy and was able to shot call them through it. And if you look at the first two games, for instance, of Runaway against Lunatic High, you wouldn't believe that Runaway was able to lose that final. They were looking amazing in, uh, in those two games. And Runner, I believe, in the interview then... Uh, attributed that to Cox's energy, which then was drained supposedly because of the length of the final. And one has to keep in mind, they 
previously only had been playing best of uh, fives and the, the playtime of those was significantly uh, shorter. So you didn't really select for these really long matches and suddenly a completely new skill set was asked and sadly uh, Cox never got to win an Apex season either. Um, one thing that he I th always thought was pretty good to add was Anna, but his Zen mostly lacked actual oomph. He was certainly not a fragger, but um, because of his flexibility, he also played a bunch of Soldier, a bunch of Sombra. Uh, he was certainly a quite valuable player, also supposedly quite toxic, which might have contributed to him not finding uh, any more teams. Okay. For the last one, this is sort of more a typical pick, uh, like a personal pick, but I think a lot of people would probably think back at him most endearingly, and certainly European pro players would remember him as one of the greatest competitors in the run-up to the Overwatch League they had to compete against, and it is Valutaja. Valutaja, to my knowledge, if I uh, recall correctly, an Estonian who had already played a bunch of esports with the uh, Reunited Gang. They started out as Fnatic and came over from uh, Battlefield. And almost immediately, it was quite clear that Valutaja was going to be the star player of this team. Overall, one has to say, Reunited or later E-United was always a team that was very a very smart team was never overly loaded with star power, but always made very good use of, of the resources that they had. Valutaya then provided that star power first on McCree. He was the OG McCree one-trick, and I think most people desired to be on, the le on his level. He was almost inseparable from the pick for the longest time, and... As the McCree era died down, he then developed into an incredibly smart tracer. I remember having discussions with some of the Movistar uh, players, and they said Valutaya's blink management, for instance, was impeccable. Well, like From what I remember from that discussion, I think they mentioned that Valutaya was not only smart enough to set up in certain positions, but his blink management would make it so that he would sometimes fake you out, waste your tracer's blinks, but then would also have the mechanics to just out-blink the other tracer and one-clip your backline hero, most of the time Zen, I think, at the time, and then get out and uh, get a huge advantage based on that. Um... Oh, certainly blink management was already a thing in Tracer Duels there. I think I had that discussion with Logix where he said, I can hang with Valutaya in terms of mechanics, but I actually learned a lot about tra playing Tracer from him. Um, sadly, his career then ended in Mosaic and he never got to be in the Overwatch League. One tidbit I remember uh, from him was too easy. His longtime teammate and uh, already from Battlefield saying that even though too easy had played esports games for a long time through a lot of iteration of his teams, he said that Valotaya was the most talented player he has had ever played with, and I absolutely believe that. His 
mechanics were honestly quite quite crazy and he was always sort of ahead of the curve and for a while reunited was probably the best team in overwatch during those uh, close beta phases so with a Valcharja at the front one has to say he was probably also the best player in the world at some point I hope you enjoyed that selection of names and if you want to bring up any more I'm certainly willing to entertain more of them and maybe add to this series but until then thanks for listening